Hello, and welcome to Hopeful Conversations, brought to you by Robbie's Hope Foundation. I am your host, Kari Eckert. Joining me today is Liza Skipwith, a high school counselor and the director of counseling services at Colorado Academy, a high school, middle school, and elementary school in the Denver metro area. Liza has been a school counselor for 26 years and has her certification as a suicide prevention specialist. Her counseling experience involves working with adults, couples, kids, and groups. Liza, thank you for joining us today and welcome to Hopeful Conversations. Thank you, Carrie. Your career is centered around mental health. What prompted you to pursue this type of work and how has working in this field influence your own personal mentality revolving around mental health? Well, I also went to an independent school in New Orleans. I'm actually from New Orleans, Louisiana. And um, when I was in school, it wasn't easy. You know, adolescence is never easy for anyone. And I actually had, um, you know, such a blessed experience at my school because I had a wonderful school counselor. And I think, you know, having that first intervention with someone that can really have a positive relationship with you and build a rapport with you and you have that trusting relationship really opens that door to seek professional help, you know, mental health help outside of school. And it opens that door for that. So I really, you know, appreciated that experience that I had with my school counselor. And I always said, you know, later in life that I wanted to give that back because if I make a difference in the child's life, you know, when they're struggling, just like I experienced, I I felt like I was doing something good, you know, for the community. Great. That's so cool. So what have you learned along your journey that has stuck with you the most? Um, I've learned actually that there's always new stuff that happens, right? And with technology, it's really changed. You know, I, I was a counselor before technology and I'm a counselor now after technology. And that just really exposed, I think, kids to a whole new world and to a lot more um, in good and bad ways, right? And Not all bad, not, yeah. Often we say bad. But in good ways too, you know. And I definitely think, you know, During the pandemic, I think, you know, social media and technology was a lifeline for kids. So Mm -hmm. that was a good thing to have, you know, for them because they were not able, you know, to be in person, let's say with friends or family. And so they were able to connect virtually, which I think was a a blessing. Mm -hmm. A lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. And continuing to be for them now and for many of us, often we just put social media on the young people, but certainly for us as adults, it's part of our life on a daily basis Absolutely. as well. So without identifying personal information and in your experience while working with teens, what external stressors have repeatedly shown up among teens that have contributed to, to the decline of mental health? Yeah. I think first and foremost, I think there's a lot of external pressure from you know, college process, getting to college and high school now just feels more like a stepping stone for kids than it does an actual experience where I wish, you know, they could actually have 
a good experience in high school and not worry so much <laughs> about grades yeah. and, you know, what activities they're involved in or sports to help build their resume for college. It just seems yeah, it seems like it's always on the forefront of their minds instead of just being a high school student and really experiencing that and having genuinely good friendships and having that experience of like loving to learn, right? And not just trying to get a grade to get into college, right? Do you see young people putting internal pressure on themselves as I well? Do, I do. And I think it's hard, um, especially in private schools. I think it's even harder because there's always that comparison, you know, and, and there's a lot of um, external pressure just from the whole like society, you know, that we live in right now and getting a certain job and getting a certain, you know, pay scale and having a house and a car and all of those things that they have to worry about. And it's so, so many. many. And just and instead of yeah. just being a kid and being able to love school and love their teachers and love their sports, you know, they have to worry about all of that stuff in the future. Right. And there's also a lot mm. that they don't know, you know, whether or not we're going to have in the future, which I think scares them too, you know, the climate, you know, the violence that's going on in the world, um, the war, you know, yeah. Ukraine. I mean, there's so much that they have on their minds constantly. They're aware of so much. Yes. But at a yeah, young age, yeah, because they're exposed, they're understanding. And that's for us kind of as adults as well. Sometimes we're just, we're exposed to so much that we weren't before. Do you think it's fair to, um, that high school now is, probably more similar to like our college experience or is that, I do. yeah, I've heard that I, before. I do think that. Um, and I also feel like, you know, these kids are so savvy and just, you know, quit their moxie. You know what I mean? Like they just know things so much faster than we did. Right. Um, and this generation, I do have faith though in this generation and believe in this generation that yeah. they will make a positive difference because they have something I think that, a lot of people don't recognize a lot more empathy because they empathy so much, right? It doesn't seem like they have, you know, they haven't been in World War II or any of those kinds of things, but really COVID was a hard time, right? And it yes, absolutely their lives. And we've never experienced anything like that, right? Um, I no. haven't, right? <laughs> I, I, the time right. of smallpox, so, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't know, but, um, but it is. I like, I like your choice of world of words. Pardon me. I, so often, young people and kids, we use the word resilient, and I, um, I like empathy because I feel like our Gen Z, like they are just they are different. They're so much fun yes. to work with. Um, I feel like we judge them so significantly, just as we judge. You know, we're, I feel like we're living in a time of just judgment of self of others constantly, awesome. but I feel like Gen Z, they don't have that like um, lens all of the time. They're very open and empathetic is just a really good word to describe this generation, I think. I, I'm yeah, with I you. Too. And I, that's why I love working with adolescents, you know, because yeah. they're just so raw, right? They're so raw in that moment and genuine. Mm -hmm. It's been one of the biggest blessings of Robbie's Hope for um, myself is just seeing Gen Z from a very different perspective, not just parents' eyes, but, um, you know, I'm a trusted adult. I get to work with kids across the country that I know and I, that I don't know. 
And it's just, um, it's so rewarding. So, so rewarding. Is it fair? Do you think that um, our youth's um, mental health has declined? Because I kind of posed a question without even just assuming that. I don't want to assume I, I that. I think it has, but I also think it's not as bad as people think, right? I mean, I think we had a little, you know, dip there when COVID happened. I think that was a lot for kids. Um, and, and like I said, it dysregulated them in many ways. You know, they were in homes that possibly had, uh, you know, a family member that was sick or died. They were in homes where someone lost a job. They were in homes where maybe there was abuse more because they were in the house more, you know, um, there was so many yeah. factors to that, that I think that's what, um, really impacted anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation more than before. But I would say, um, for the most part, I think anxiety and depression has increased, not just because of, you know, the times we're living in, but I think it's also increased just because of all the, the extra, like, added um, responsibilities that these kids have, too. I suspect that the rates being reported are, have also increased because young people are more aware right. that help is available. Um, so it's not necessarily just a bad thing. Um, it's good because kids are asking for help. I just saw last week that even like 23% of the population of adults and primarily women, but a big increase of sought mental health services in the prior year. So that's just good, good news as opposed to, because I think in our generation, you know, at least in mine, it was taboo almost, <laughs> you know, to talk about feelings or to talk about, you know, having any problems where now kids are very open about it and they feel comfortable, you know, talking about their feelings, talking about what they're experiencing and the struggles too, and, and seeking help, you know, and that's what we want for our yeah. children, right? We want them absolutely to the resources that are available to them. And that's one thing right. we definitely do here at Colorado Academy is to really train our students to know what those warning signs are, when to seek help, and who to report to. That's so good. That's what we're trying to do across the nation. There's so many districts and private schools, public schools alike that are um, still feel like the topic is set so taboo, and it doesn't need to be just by teaching kids about mental health, about mental illness, about the warning signs and about what to do in their community can save lives. So this is a good one. I get asked this a lot. Um, so if, w considering Gen, Gen Z, um, what notions are typically believed or said to teens by older generations that demonstrate an ill understanding of the reality of mental mm. health? Um, I think, and this is unfortunate, I, I've heard many adults say, can you hear me okay? Ah. Can you hear me? Yes, okay, I can sorry. hear you. I, I, oh, I thought that's what you were using as the question that adults pose to kids. And I was like, why would they ask that? Yes, okay. I can hear you. All right. <laughs> I just got a delay. <laughs> That's okay. I've heard many adults um, say that, you know, kids today, you know, they're anxious about everything, or if they break a nail, they're depressed. And really, they're dismissive of things that I think are true for this generation of kids. Like, they really are experiencing trauma in different ways, right? It's not necessarily the way we experienced it in our generation, 
but to be dismissive of it, I think really affects, you know, younger kids because they feel like no one understands them. They feel alone. Mm -hmm. Dismissive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We hear there's from kids that there's like so much blame about, um, their use of their right. phone, um, so much misunderstanding and so much blame. Just if the adults often will just say, if you would just put your phone away, you wouldn't have a problem. Um, so certainly young people make mistakes as well. And I'm just wondering what is the most commonly mistaken assumption teens make about mental health? I think the one thing I've heard very, um, I think, over the years, more recently too, actually, is that, um, will I be able to get treatment? Right. I think right now everybody's so booked. Do you know what I mean? And yes. everybody's spread thin since COVID and there's limited amount of healthcare out there. Right. And so I hear from a lot of kids, like I've tried to call this therapist and they're not taking new clients and I've called this therapist and they'll go to like, you know, the hospital and they have to wait for hours. So I think mental health and healthcare in general needs to be a priority right now. And there are not that many resources out there. We need more. Yeah. Children's hospital declared a state of mental health emergency for young people, May, 2021. Yes. I know the state of Colorado is trying to put a lot of funding behind, but um, there's going to be, you know, a yeah. lag before we have more counselors. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's why if we can stay on the preventative side and help young people and bring awareness um, to parents, yeah. to teachers. Um, so that's kind of a good lead into what do you think parents misunderstand about mental health of themselves and potentially of their teenager or child. I, I think a lot of times, you know, parents and students actually, they think that they always have to be perfect, right? And that they can't have any struggles, right? But that's not reality, right? We all have good and bad moments. The yin and the yang is a perfect example, right? <laughs> um, you know, you have to have that in life, right? We can't control that, but we can control how we respond to it. And I think a lot of times parents you know, want to brush things under the rug or they want to be dismissive or they want to say, you'll be fine. It'll be okay. And they're not really addressing the issue right at hand, which could be a true medical condition. Right. And so yeah. instead of like, you know, asking the right questions or seeking a doctor or professional for help, you know, they, they wait too long, right. Until it gets really, really bad. Right. Instead of being proactive, they're being reactive. Right. And so if, mm -hmm. proactive, and okay. if we could be more proactive, I think we could resolve a lot of issues early on and then they're really not issues anymore. Right. Good advice. Great advice. Um, I feel like sometimes as parents, we want to keep the blinders on like this couldn't apply to my child. I think more adults are very aware that um, mental illness and mental health of young people's um, in jeopardy, but like, oh, that couldn't right. be my child. Like my, yeah, even we, my husband and I often say that about Robbie, like, um, you know, obviously he didn't feel on the inside the way he presented himself on the outside. Um, he looked like he was happy. He was, he, we like to say that he was high performing. Maybe that's not correct. Um, if he was truly struggling, but as many people with mental illness, it's, um, we choose to put on, you know, a facade. A lot of people yeah. wear masks. And I think that's the other piece too, that, like I said, parents, you know, if they see a little bit of anxiety, they think, oh, 
they're not anxious, you know, they'll be fine, they'll get over it. But really, it's a medical condition. The brain's an organ, just like any other organ in the body, right? And we treat, you know, our health, you know, immediately, if you have a heart condition, you go to the heart doctor, (laughs) right? You go to the heart Absolutely. But if you're having a little bit of anxiety, people are hesitant to go see a therapist, right? Because the average wait is eight to yeah. 10 years with a diagnosable mental illness versus a physical mm-hmm. illness. Like you said, heart doctor right away, like the tiniest yeah. symptom we're right. running. But if it's mental health, they, they, they prolong it way too, you know, yeah. and, and if we addressed it sooner, it wouldn't be as high of, of, of you know, the, the rates that we have right now, right? We wouldn't have these rates that we have of anxiety no. and depression if we no. addressed it sooner. Absolutely. So I like this question. Have you noticed a difference in the treatment toward mental health between boys and girls? Mm -hmm. In other words, can you see a visible contrast between boys and girls seeking treatment for mental health issues? And why do you think that is? That's a great question. And I think just in my years of um, being a therapist in schools, um, and I've also worked in hospitals and different places. Um, but I've noticed that boys tend not to express their feelings, right? Like girls do. Girls are very vocal, verbal, and they're quick, you know, to seek help and process and talk, right? Where boys hold a lot in, right? And it takes something major for them to, like a major event almost, for them to actually seek help. Instead of like seeking help early on when they're feeling a little bit depressed or, and you'd be surprised, like I have boys that have body dysmorphia, you know, and, and they don't talk about it for years until it becomes a real issue. Right. Um, and, and they feel like it's not being, you know, masculine enough (laughs) if they're not, you know, perfect and taking care of things and, and like, what, you can't have body dysmorphia as a guy. Right. But they do, you know. They do. Do you have any pointers to um, males to be able to kind of help them with um, that it is okay to have the same vulnerability and issues that females have and express more openly? And, And it's one thing that I've talked about with boys too, like find that trusted adult in your life that you can have conversations with, you know, if it's not a parent, find either a rabbi or a minister or, you know, a coach or a teacher or a therapist, right, at school or whoever you feel like you can trust, that trusted adult in your life that you can have a conversation with. And hopefully they will, you know, help you get the help that you need, right, to address the issues. Um, And I also feel like boys tend to have girls that they talk to (laughs) more about, Mm -hmm. you know, that vulnerability and like struggle than they do other guy friends. Um, I've heard that from boys um, over the years, but I'm really hoping that this generation too, with the empathy that they've created, that boys are feeling a little bit more vulnerable and able to express and give themselves permission to be human. Be human. We speak the same language. I've used a lot of those terms before. Um, I like to tell parents when I have the opportunity to um, share my story and the um, education that I've received and mental health and suicide prevention is to have the conversation with your youth, your teen, that if I am not your trusted adult, um, find one. I know that's, you know, that's very vulnerable for a parent to even think about that if my child was struggling, of course they would come to me, but that may not be the case. Um, 
So that's yeah, a tough yeah. one. So what are some ways that we can debunk stigmas surrounding mental health by making teens feel more comfortable talking about their feelings? I, you know, it's one thing, like right now it's Suicide Prevention Month, right? The month of September. And, and I love, you know, that little saying, um, you know, that Mental Health America says that it's okay not to be okay. We use that yeah, too. And, and I think that's really important to share with kids, like adults as well, to model that, you know, like when you're not okay, what do you do to take care of yourself? Right. And to model that for young people. And I think young people then have permission to not be okay. Right. If they see the adults model that and how do they seek help and self-soothe and help themselves to regulate. And those are things that we want to make sure that we're doing for our young people to know that it's okay not to be okay. And when you're not okay, how do you take care of yourself? I've heard you use the word regulate a few times. Can you elaborate on that? A sure. Bit? You know, when we're emotional, right, as human beings, or we're distressed about something, or, you know, we're feeling a sense of loss or grief, um, our feelings sometimes get dysregulated, right? Where we'll act out maybe, or we'll not be able to control our emotions at that moment. Um, and it's not about control. It's about stability, right? And being able to bounce back. So if you're having a tough moment, it's okay to cry, right? And to sit with that for a little bit. It's okay to be upset and angry, but are you able to bounce back? Are you able to seek help? Are you able to, you know, take care of yourself, right? And that's when you want to use the resources that you have available to you. And that's why it's so important, I think, for young people to know what those resources are. And again, knowing that trusted adult in their life um, to go and talk to. Do you stick with the time frame um, that like a lot of medical professionals that work in the field, like yourself, of two weeks? Like if those feelings persist for, you know, to a life stressor, to an event, to a not getting into the college that they wanted to get into, not making the team that they wanted to make um, a breakup or, you know, something at home. Do you like the time frame of two weeks or do you feel I like that? Sometimes it depends on each individual, right? Um, you may have someone that's, you know, really going through a tough time and, and they may have it for just a week, but then it comes back later, right? They may okay. get triggered by something else later down the road. Um, I think it just depends. I think if something is interfering with your functioning and your daily life functioning, right? If you're ruminating on thoughts about hopelessness, right? If you're feeling unmotivated, if you're not able to get out of bed, if you're not able to eat or sleep, or if you're eating or sleeping too much, <laughs> right? Or if you're not able to do those normal daily functioning things that you've always done, then talk to someone, right? There might be something going on that you're not aware of. You're addressing a lot of those signs or symptoms to look for in yourself or in a classmate, a friend, a loved one, a child. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a teen that is struggling with mental health who has very little hope for themselves mm -hmm. right now? Yes, that's, that's where my heart breaks for them because you want them never to lose hope, right? Um, and I think one thing, I, I try to do this, right? I, I, and I, this is the motto I use, like, what are you in control of, right? And what are you not in control of, right? And what can you let go of? And to really unpack that, right? And then to recognize that whatever it is that you're experiencing right now, for the most part, it's temporary, 
right? It's not forever, mm-hmm. right? And that's hard sometimes for adolescents to hear because they're so myopic in the here and now, and they think like this is going to be forever, you know, but really right. unpacking that with them and helping them to recognize what they're in control of, what they're not, right? What can they let go of? What can they change, right? Where can they seek help? Again, how to self-care. And and most of all, to recognize that what you're feeling is temporary, right? And what you're experiencing is temporary, unless it is death, right? What are you control right. of? What aren't you in control of? What can you let go of? Mm-hmm. It can, and, and how can we get through this right. now? Like, we, we use the word yeah. hope, um, hold mm-hmm. on, pain yeah. ends, hold on, Absolutely. pain ends. It's true. It's hard for a teenager because of just their, like their life perspective, like kids in high school mm-hmm. right now, two years of their high school experience was very different yes. being in yeah. COVID. That's significant, hard for them to see past. Is there anything that you would avoid saying to a teenager that was struggling or that felt hopeless? Absolutely. I think it's important to listen to them and clearly listen, be an effective listener, right? And, and not tell them, um, or to be dismissive that what they're feeling isn't valid because their feelings are the truth, right? What they're feeling is the truth. And we can't dismiss that. And we can't tell them that it's not valid, right? Um, because that's what they're feeling at that moment. And I think it's important to recognize that, to listen and to give them a sense of hope that there is help. Right. And, and to recognize as well that I think a lot of times adolescents, you know, they're, they're not thinking like adults do in the future in that sense. Right. In that big picture, I think, you know, developmentally, we know their frontal lobe isn't developed (laughs) all the way, Mm -hmm. you know, until they're about 24, they're not fully developed. So it's important to recognize that they're constantly in the here and now, and they're not really recognizing that it can get better, right? But to tell them it'll get better, you'll be fine, don't worry about it, that doesn't fix it. That's dismissing it, yeah. I think since it is September and it's Suicide Prevention Month, um, often... um, like the older generations like to say that you can't um, ask someone if they're, you know, considering suicide and how much of a myth that is that you actually do need to directly ask. Um, I, as a trusted adult with others, people's children, I have been in the situation to ask that. Um, and I just say like, you can trust your gut. So often the person the, is not considering suicide. They're just in a moment of deep crisis and need someone to listen. But by asking that question, how you're just clearing the air, like it just changes the conversation. It allows you to really get to the issue versus as an adult, you know, your worst fear. Um, and that's that's one thing I've always told our students here, too, at Colorado Academy is to ask that question. Right. It's important. Like the minute you go up to someone that you notice is not having a good day or if they're really isolating and withdrawn and, you know, you notice visibly that they're seeming really down, go up to them and ask them, are you OK? Right. Are and you OK. You start to open that conversation. And if you're sensing from what they're telling you, a sense of hopelessness, right? You need to ask that question. Are you thinking about killing yourself, right? Are you thinking about suicide, right? And if they're thinking about it, they're going to share that with you, you know, 
because you've opened that door, right? You're, you're showing that you care and you're listening. Two ears, mm -hmm. one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. And it's in uncomfortable situations. It's very difficult to do. Um, we tend to fill space with words, but just giving that person you're sitting with the opportunity to sit in their thoughts and work through them together, um, it can be yes, done. It can be. Yeah. So how can we as a society create a community that is accepting and understanding of unstable mental health? Again, I think it goes back to that, you know, the brain being an organ, right? And I think we have to treat mental health just like we do physical health, right? We really need to, the, the, the body is connected, right? The brain isn't disconnected from this body. So we really need to treat it like a medical issue. And instead of, you know, treating it like it's something that'll go away or that it's not as important, um, that that's really, um, I think, how can I put it? Um, it's, it's detrimental. I really feel like that. It's detrimental. And we can lose lives, you know, if we don't make this something that's a priority. And mental health kind of a shift because we have treated it so separately for yes. so long. Do you think there's a way that we can improve our attitude and just the discussion around yes, mental health? Yes, I feel like people need to be more open about it. I think they need to be more comfortable with it and it's okay to be uncomfortable <laughs> talking about those feelings. Um, and, and I, again, I think about medical conditions, you know, if someone has diabetes, they're talking about it, right? If they're having a heart condition, they're talking about it either with a doctor or a friend or a family member. And I think about, you know, the elderly, how quickly they are to tell you all their ailments. <laughs> this is so, true. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, why can't we speak about mental health the same way, you know, and be comfortable with it, right? It doesn't have to be uncomfortable, right? doesn't have to be taboo. Have to be taboo. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Gen Z, their comfort level is higher than ours as adults. And like, what can we learn from them from um, that we can apply that can help us all? And I think for them, I, I, it's such a real thing. You know, it's every day they're facing this, right? And I think we need to recognize that for them, it's not going to go away, right? It's only going to continue and that we need to support them and help them in this process of like fulfilling what they need to be in a good, healthy space, right? Emotionally, yeah. mentally, and physically. Because if they're not okay emotionally and mentally and physically, they're not going to do well academically. They're not going to do well, you know, physically exercising or a job or, you know, academics. That's not going to function well if they're not okay emotionally and mentally. Right, right. That's why it's so important to um, get good training to our teachers and our coaches. Like we need to look, like you just said, the brain is not separate. It's connected. We're a whole person and treating ourselves yes. that way. How do you take care of yourself in the field that you're working in? I'm sure it's um, demanding and stressful and sad. You said your heart breaks. Yes. Um, what do you do for your own, you know, good personal care? For me, Personally, I, I definitely consult, <laughs> you know, with other therapists. I think that's so valuable, you know, just to have that time to consult and kind of let go of that. You know, when I do have 
heartbreak for a child, right, um, that maybe has suicidal ideation or has cancer, you know, or going through a really life-threatening situation um, that's debilitating and paralyzing to them, right? Um, I definitely consult. I also am very spiritual. <laughs> I think that really helps me. And um, friends, spending time with friends and family, and definitely having quiet time too. You know, I'm listening all day, talking. And when I leave, you know, my office every day, I really try to make time for myself for at least 30 minutes, whether it's walking or, you know, gardening, or if it's, you know, reading a book, at least something that brings me comfort that I really don't have to use too much of my brain, <laughs> right? Where I can just be in the moment and, and take care of myself. Sounds like great advice for everyone to follow. I know young people are uh, learning more about being in the moment versus in the past or in the future. And um, just what benefits we can all receive from that, even like a someone on their commute home, being able to tune out and just um, without our screens. We're fortunate in the state of Colorado. We live in a beautiful place and nature, you know, most of the year can be um, supportive of our taking good care of ourselves. It's my favorite thing. I think being in nature, I mean, that's why I love Colorado and I think it's so, you know, soothing to be outdoors. And the more we can do that, the better. And we know it helps, right? The sun, definitely the vitamin D <laughs> helps. Yes. Getting outdoors and doing some type of activity really helps the mind and the heart and the soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like you're doing a good job of putting your own oxygen <laughs> mask on first. I like to use that with, you know, adults and kids. Like, you can't take care of someone else if you're not taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So we like to wrap up our conversations with a, one question and it can be applied to youth or to adults and or just, and it's, this is it. What does the world need to hear right mm. now? For me, it's to listen and to love. And what I mean by that is love with your whole heart and be accepting of all, not just people, but of all in this world, right? And I think if we can have more love in our hearts that we're spreading, I think we're going to really help a lot of people to feel like they belong. Awesome. To listen and to love. Thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you so much for joining me today on a hopeful conversation. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. And until then, remember, hope. Hold on, pain ends.